Well, we finally reached the end of this long discourse on the kingdom of God. We've been hearing many different parables through these Sundays and learning different things about the kingdom of God. Remember, for example, when we heard that we had to, we had to be childlike to enter the kingdom of God like four, three, four Sundays ago and have the heart that is meek and humble. We also heard that the, king, the growth of that kingdom changes depending on the type of soil we are. When we are a soil that is prepared to receive that seed, it grows, but not if it's a soil that is filled with thorns or, or is shallow. And then we also heard last Sunday that uh, it gathers the good and the bad, the, the wheat and the tares. Uh, and in a way, it reflects the patience of God, that he allows all of us to enter his kingdom, even if we are very imperfect, because God is patient and wants us to kind of purify our hearts, allows us to grow and convert so that we can all make it in. But there will also finally be a judgment, as we heard today. Well, this Sunday we hear something different as well. And we hear that the kingdom of God is enticing. Once you really get it, it's not, no longer a duty you reluctantly follow, but it's something you want to eagerly pursue. It's something that is really enticing. Many people that I know have discovered this aspect of the kingdom of God, perhaps through a mission or a retreat. I remember a story of a, a good friend from Argentina. I will call him Jack because these days with internet, you never know who is listening to this. So this, this man had fallen away from his Catholic faith. And one Friday night, he crashed a party. He was a, you know, very popular. He was a good, he's a good singer. He has a lot of jokes to tell. And he began chatting with these two girls. And he was quite interested. And so they said, we belong to this vibrant Catholic group, and we want to invite you on a retreat. Well, Jack was kind of interested on, that, on meeting, knowing more about this girl. So he said, OK, that sounds pretty good. So he signed up. And a couple of weeks later, he was on that side where they were leaving for the retreat house. So he climbed on the bus. And as he is looking out the window when the bus is leaving, full of young people, he spots these two girls on the sidewalk waving back to him. And he says, what? You're not going on the retreat? And they say, no, we're here to see you off. We're going to pray for you guys. And he says, no. And he, it all started to sink in at that moment. I'm going on a retreat. How did I get into this? This girl tricked me into it. Well, it, it was a low moment, but then he recovered. He began grumpily to pay a bit of attention. And it was an amazing weekend for him. It was a time when he truly encountered Jesus Christ as, as for the first time. He was Catholic, but very fallen away. And he really, he really was changed in his heart. Now, many years later, he's a husband, a father, he's an educator. And he will tell you that that weekend, he discovered the pearl of great price. He, he began to realize that, you know, following Christ is not a sort of very boring burden you have, but something he really wanted to make part of his identity and who he is. Well, this parable, so the merchant and the treasure, 
are about those moments, those life-changing moments, when you find something new and very attractive. Notice that in one of the parables, one person finds the kingdom of God quite unexpectedly, buried in a field, shows up, it shows up. The other one instead is actively seeking. You know, what am I looking for? But both of them find it in the course of their daily pursuits. They're both kind of doing their daily jobs, their daily everyday things. It was funny how it happened for Jack, in a way. He was a big partier, and it all happened. The kingdom of God, in some way, got to him by chatting with a girl in a party. Very unusual, in a way. Uh, But it's often the case that the questions that emerge from everyday situations are the ones that get us started in that quest for the kingdom of God. Like, what is really worth pursuing in this life? Should I pursue this relationship or not? This job or not? Should I involve myself deeply in the life of other people or should I just do my own thing? Does it really matter? Does anybody care for it? What is the right thing to do? And the questions become even more pressing when you start to feel responsible for other people. That's what happened to Solomon. He happened to be born the king of Israel, so he had to govern. And he realized, you know, what he did, for good or bad, would result in, you know, the happiness or the disgrace for an entire nation. And it just felt too overwhelming. And that led him then to trust God. He realized only God could have an answer of what's the thing I should do to govern rightly. You know, and for many people today, a similar sense of responsibility comes to them when they become a parent for the first time. Or they realize, you know, my opinion, what I write, has an influence on other people. Or I have people under me in my job. Whatever review I make or however I treat them will impact their careers and their families. You know, I want Father Ivan and the St. John Society men and myself, we took a few days away in Lake Placid in the mountains of the Adirondacks. And the idea came up that we should watch the, the movie Miracle on Ice, a miracle of uh, 1980. It's about the story of the U.S. hockey team in the Winter Olympics uh, in 1980, precisely at Lake Placid, New York. It was a team led by coach Herb Brooks. And their main rivals were the, the Soviet team, that was the, the finest, one of the finest hockey teams in history. They had won the prior four Olympic Games. They had been undefeated for 12 years. Nobody had w- defeated them in 12 years. And Coach Brooks told this young team of college players, you're not going to outdo the Russians in individual skill. You won't outdo them in experience. You won't be able to stop them if you try to just play that way. You have to do what nobody else has done in this game, and that's to push them against their, against their own goal, attack them. And you have to be so fit that you can keep up with them until the last second of the game. No team has been able to do that. Well, Coach Brooks was very 
demanding, and I learned who was a Catholic, by the way. He was a very demanding coach. He was especially tough on his players when they lost focus or, or they began to play or act in a very individualistic way. He wanted them to be focused as part of the team. But he also earned their respect and admiration, especially when he led them to, to beat the Soviet team by 4-3 to three and eventually win the, the gold medal the next game. You know, here's the point of this. With, with the right coaching, those players had what was needed to win. They had it in themselves. But without the right coaching, they would never have discovered it. It was there, it was in their potential, but it couldn't have been discovered. They needed someone to show them how to train, how to think, how to play, if they wanted to succeed in those Olympic Games. Well, bringing it home, imagine the difference, difference it makes if you could have the right coach for the different areas of your life. Right coach for finances and investments, right coach for job interviews, how to manage your job your, or your work-life balance, right coach for relationships, for marriage, for parenting. We think, you know, we might think, wouldn't it be great if I could have God as my coach? If Jesus could be my life coach. But that doesn't happen. It's not possible. Well, it's not possible, is it? I would say it is. It is possible. It has happened for many people. Read the lives of the saints. We have story after story of how Jesus has coached and changed the life of concrete people. And I know many who have been changed in that way, who have been led by the Holy Spirit. That was happened to, what happened to Jack, as I told you in the story at the beginning. I would say that's the difference between believing in God and entering the kingdom of God. You see, if you believe in God, you say, well, there's someone there that made this universe happen. It doesn't have any, anything to do with me, but there is a God. Entering the kingdom of God is to realize that it is possible and it will happen that that God can be deeply involved in my everyday life, that he's interested, he knows who I am and, will, and wants to guide me. That is entering the kingdom of God. That's discovering a pearl of great price. And you see why that becomes much more exciting. It's not a boring task. So entering the kingdom of God is like having Christ as your life coach. And that takes, I would say, a lot of trust. A tremendous trust in the goodness of God. You may feel like those players in, in Coach uh, Brooks' team. You know, they were, at times they were asked to do all these moves and, and, this, and exercises that were unorthodox and harsh and, and counterintuitive. But in the end they realized it was all worth it. So to follow Christ's lead, you also need to trust the goodness of God and trust him, even when he says to you, you know, deny yourself. It may feel hard in the moment, but in the end you realize it was so worth it. It, led, it will lead you to a much better outcome, to a much better you. And when you are there, when you're in that final 
end line, you will say, thank you, God. Thank you for not allowing me to settle for so little, for pushing me through those drills and self-denial to attain this glory and this love and this kind of relationships and this kind of purpose in my life. Well, let me suggest a few takeaways. The first one is this. When you look objectively into yourself, what are the criteria that guide your daily life? What are the criteria that make you decide this or that? I will think this way, I will allow this feeling or not. And then compare them with the ones of Christ. Are are those criteria the ones of the gospel? You can draw, if you want, a two-column comparison. You can write a couple of those criteria on one side and the ones in the gospel on the other side. And you can see, are there coincidences or are there a lot of discrepancies between these two set of criteria? And then dream a bit. What would it be like if I lived according to this gospel criteria? How would my life be like if I allowed these rules from the gospel to guide me in the way I think about other people, in the way I see others, in the way I judge? Now, let me, a second takeaway is the following. Maybe you might say my case is different. Maybe you have experienced God's guidance very clearly in the past, but it feels a bit dim right now. Maybe you want to refresh or renew your connection with Christ, right? Uh, So let me suggest then make the prayer of Solomon your own prayer. Incorporate that prayer of Solomon. First, think of this. What's my responsibility in life? Who am I responsible for mainly right now? Who depend or will depend on me in the future. And then ask yourself, what is the guidance that I need from God to carry it out? What is that guidance that I need in order to know what to do with this responsibility? Should I hold firm to it or just let it go of it? What does the Lord want? And then ask Jesus, Lord, be my coach, guide me in this. Because like King Solomon, I wouldn't know how to do it on my own. I don't have the wisdom. I'm very, I, can, I could be very confused in this, but you know. So may we pray for that. In whatever situation you're at, we can make this prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for inviting me to be part of your kingdom. I believe, Lord, that it is possible to know you because you came to us. You took our flesh upon yourself. And I want that. I want that for myself. Lead me, Lord, in the way that you know is best, in the way that will lead me to live the way you lived. And give me, above all, the grace of trusting your goodness, trusting that what you want for me and for those around me is much better than what I could dream for myself. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.